just a little bit of review before we continue. Um, and this week we're going to do a little bit of a, a deep dive into the foundation of what I would think is a prophetic scripture, which is always centered around the seven feasts of Israel. And of course, we looked at this scripture before in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 14, where in the creation God said he set up all of the signs, the day and night and the celestial uh, the celestial creation as part of his seasons and appointed times for days and for years and let them be for signs. And of course, Jesus made um, reference to that many times when he spoke about the seasons, that we would know the seasons uh, of his coming because he likened Israel to a fig tree. He said, when you see the fig tree blossom, then you know that it's, it's summer or it's coming out of the winter season. Similarly, he's put all of these uh, signs, and we looked at some of the celestial uh, events last week, and we're going to be looking at that again. But just to remind you that God bases his calendar uh, on, it seems, this number seven, uh, which is called the heptatic calendar. That's a Greek word, heptatic, for the number of seven. And we see that we looked at it last week just to review that the seven-day uh, counting ends up with a, a Sabbath or a Shabbat, and then seven-week period we can find is the time to Pentecost, and that seven months comprise the religious year from Nisan to Tishri. Those seven months is where all of the major Jewish feasts, the seven major Jewish feasts fall. And then, of course, the one that we looked at a little bit more deeply last week, groupings of seven years called a sabbatical year, and every seventh year they were to allow the land to lie fallow. They were not to plant. And in the sixth year they were to gather. God would have blessed them, and they were to gather double. And then there's a grouping of seven sets of sabbatical years, which is the time in between jubilees. The 50th year was a jubilee, where they would not only blow the trumpet on the regular Feast of Trumpets, but also on the Day of Atonement, they would blow a jubilee trumpet, which was a silver trumpet, which is different from the ram's horn that they would normally blow on the Feast of Trumpets. And at that time, all uh, slaves, those who are in debt, would have to be released. And we showed last week how all of this these times were set to the cycles of the moon and the sun and how it was the uh, spring and fall equinox and the, the times when the day and night were equal was the trigger point for setting the first day of the religious year, which is Nisan. And so the first new moon after the spring equinox would be designated the first of Nisan, and then 15 days after that would be the Passover. And so because of that, we can date things even though our calendars have changed about three times since the time of Jesus. There was the, the calendar based on Julius Caesar, uh, and in between that there was another calendar, and now we're under what's called the Gregorian calendar. So the next... Uh, spring equinox will be 
in next year, March 19th, when the day and night are equal. And then the first new moon after that will be the first day of Nisan. And then we took a look at the fact that Jesus, the Bible tells us, was three days and three nights in the grave and that he was crucified on a Passover. And we looked at the fact that the only Passover that falls starting on a Wednesday evening is in the year AD 31 within a range of plus or minus of six years from uh, the date of his uh, supposed crucifixion. So, and we looked at that last week. Um, John 19:31. we knew it says the Jews, therefore, because it was the preparation that the body should not remain upon the cross on the Sabbath day, for the Sabbath day was in high day. Now, what that's speaking of was there were two Sabbaths that week. There was the Passover, and then there was the weekly Sabbath, and people get confused about that. But we can easily show that the only date that Passover fell that would give you three days and three nights was in the year AD 31, and of course, that is critical. So some of that was what we did last week. Now we're going to look uh, in uh, a little bit of depth this week on something that really is the calendar of God's promises to Israel and all the events that are going to happen. Now when they came out of Egypt, uh, they were not all uh, illiterate people. Now I assume that that many of them could not read or write, so God did not necessarily give them at that time a written uh, set of commands. Yes, the Ten Commandments were written on the tablets of stone, and I am sure that Moses and many of the priests could read and write, obviously, because Moses wrote the Torah. But so God wanted, though, them to, to have something that would be passed down from generation to generation that would represent his overall plan of salvation. So he gave them these seven major ceremonies. And we find that in Leviticus 23, 2. Speak unto the children of Israel and say unto them, concerning the feasts, or in Hebrew, moed, or moedim, of the Lord, which ye shall proclaim to be holy convocations. Even these are my feasts. Now that word moed also means appointments. They were an appointment seven times a year with the Lord. Leviticus 23.4 goes on to say, These are the feasts of the Lord, even holy convocations, which he shall proclaim in their seasons. And by doing these every year, these seven feasts, uh, they, they memorialized God's plan of salvation. And now you may say, well, how can that be? Well, let's look at the first one, which was instituted in Exodus when they left Egypt, the night that they left Egypt, God had told them that they were to take the blood of the lamb that they had taken in on the 10th day uh, uh, of that month, and they were to kill it at sunset, and they were to take the blood and daub it on the lintel and the two side posts of the door. And that night, the destroying angel, when he came for the firstborn, would pass over any house on which the blood was applied. And of course, that came to be known as Passover. Today, the Jews celebrate it as Pesach, but we know it as Passover. And that was the first 
of the seven major feasts. The very next day, the 15th of Nisan, was unleavened bread or the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And what that commemorated was that they left um, Egypt without being able to prepare. They, it represented the bitterness because they were to eat it with bitter herbs. It represented their time in slavery. And so that feast was celebrated on the very next day. So that was called Unleavened Bread. And then later on, they were given the third feast, which was First Fruits, which was the feast of the harvest of the barley. And that was on three days later, or on the first day of the week. Um, and then they were told to count uh, seven sets of seven. And on the 50th day, they were to celebrate the second feast, this time the Feast of Wheat which we know today as Passover, or, or in Hebrew, Shavuot, the Feast of Weeks, or the Feast of Sevens. And then four months after that was the Feast of Trumpets. Now, each of these feasts are unique and representative of a future ful prophetic fulfillment by God. And we'll come back to these in a little bit more. And then ten days after that, was the holiest day as far as what the, the Jews celebrate called the Day of Atonements. And it was on that day that the sins for the nation were forgiven. It was on that day alone that the high priest would take the blood from the, the sacrifice and take it all the way in past the holy place into the most holy place and sprinkle it seven times on the ground and before the Ark of the Covenant. And then five days after that would be the Feast of Tabernacles. And that feast commemorated the time that they spent traveling, dwelling in tents. And during that feast, they were told to make booths. They were to go out in their yard and make wooden tents. And they were not to cover those tents completely. There should be holes in them representing the fact that they were intense and not fully covered. And that feast in the Jewish tongue, Sukkot, represents the time of tabernacling in tents. Now each of those seven feasts has a prophetic fulfillment. Let's look at the first one, Passover. Exodus 12, verse 1. And the Lord spake unto Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, saying, This month shall be unto you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year to you. Now before this, they used to celebrate the first month of the year as Tishri, which would be in our September, October time frame. But this month, as it was called then, was called Abib. And that was celebrated in the spring. God told them that as far as your religious feast, this is now going to be the first month of the year. Verse 6, and he shall keep it up until the 14th day. Take the lamb in in the 10th day of the month, and he shall keep it up until the 14th day of the same month. And the whole congregation of Israel shall kill it in the evening, and they shall take of the blood and strike it on the two side posts and on the upper doorposts of the houses, wherein they shall eat. And the blood shall be to you for a token upon the houses where we are, and when I see the blood, I will pass over you. 
Now, this celebration, this feast, is different than what many people think because this was normally not celebrated by a priest. Many years later, that's what they used to do, is take the lamb to the temple. But when God first initiated this feast, it was the head of household that took each lamb and was to kill it. So this was not a sin offering. It was a redemption offering. And we'll have to have a whole Bible study to go into the details of the difference. But this was not a sin offering. What it represented was the redemption from death of the firstborn. When I see the blood, I will pass over you. And then the next part of this, which was literally fulfilled, was when, of course, Jesus became our Passover. When Jesus started his ministry, John 1, 29, John declared and probably for the first time revealed who he truly was. The next day, John seeth Jesus coming unto him and saith, Behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. So Jesus literally fulfilled the symbol of the Passover lamb. His blood on the cross represented our Passover, redeeming us from sin, redeeming us, sorry, from death. Revelation 5, 6, the elders that are upon the thrones that uh, John saw in his vision, this is what they said. And I beheld and lo, in the midst of the throne and of the four beasts and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent forth into all the earth. And it goes on to say that they said, you, are, you were the one who died and redeemed us by thy blood. So Jesus literally fulfilled the feast of Passover. He also literally fulfilled the unleavened bread. Exodus 34, 18 says, The feast of unleavened bread thou shalt keep. Seven days thou shalt eat unleavened bread. So the first three feasts overlapped. Unleavened bread overlapped with the feast of first fruits because unleavened bread lasted for seven days. So sometimes the whole uh, group of three feasts is called the feast of unleavened bread, but it included Passover the beginning of unleavened bread, and also the feast of first fruits. As I commanded thee in the time of the month Abib, for in the month Abib thou camest out from Egypt. Now this is fulfilled in John chapter 6, verse 32. Then Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, or truly, truly, I say unto you, Moses gave you not that bread from heaven, but my Father giveth you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God as is he that cometh down from heaven and giveth life unto the world. Then said he unto him, Lord, evermore give us this bread. And Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. See, he was that bread that had no leaven, sinless. And of course, he, was, he fulfilled that. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we 
may be made the righteousness of God in him. What an awesome scripture. Then, of course, the third feast, third appointment, first fruits. On this feast, they were to bring the first sheaves of the barley harvest. Leviticus 23, 9. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, and say unto them, When ye come into the land which I give unto you, you shall reap the harvest thereof. Then ye shall bring a sheaf of the first fruits of your harvest unto the priest. And he shall wave the sheaf before the Lord to be accepted for you. On the morrow after the Sabbath, the priest shall wave it. So this tells us it was on a Sunday, or the, according to the Jews, the first day of the week, because Saturday was the seventh day. They were to bring this offering on the first day of the week. And of course, it represents Jesus' resurrection. The Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians, But now is Christ risen from the dead, and become the first fruits of them that slept. For since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. And now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits. Isn't that awesome? So Jesus literally fulfilled the feast of first fruits. And then 50 days later is the feast of Pentecost in the Hebrew month Sivan. And today, They celebrated on a fixed day, the sixth day of Sivan. And they were to count from Pentecost. Let's just read it. Leviticus 23, 16. Even unto the morrow after the seventh Sabbath shall he number 50 days. They were to count after the Passover 50 days. And then he shall offer a new meat offering unto the Lord, even the spirit of truth whom the world, sorry, a new meat offering unto the Lord. And then in the New Testament, it speaks about Jesus, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him, not neither knoweth him, but he cometh, but he know him, for he dwelleth with you. Because on Pentecost was given the Holy Spirit. Now the interesting thing about Pentecost is that even the month in which it was given, the Holy Spirit, Sivan means the covering. So God gave the covering symbolically in the month that is called the covering. Amen. And of course, Jesus fulfilled that being the comforter. For the comforter, John fourteen twenty six. but for the comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance, whatsoever I have said unto you. Verse 18 says, I will not leave you comfortless, I will come to you yet a little while, and the world seeth me no more. But he see me, because I live, ye shall live also. At that day ye shall know that I am in my Father, and ye in me, and I in you. So the fulfillment of that feast was Jesus in the form of the Holy Spirit. Then we have to wait four months to the feast that is also very unique. The Feast of Trumpets is the only one of the seven feasts that falls on the first day of any month. And so that feast, again, was determined by seeing the crescent, the slight crescent of the new moon. Leviticus twenty-three, twenty-four: Speak unto the children of Israel, saying, In the seventh month, 
In the first day of the month shall he have a Sabbath, a memorial of blowing of trumpets. So that, that feast goes by several names. Yom Teruah, that means the day of trumpets or the day of blowing. And of course, it's also the first day of the old year or the secular year. And so it's Rosh Hashanah, the head of the year. And holy convocation, you shall do no servile work therein, but he shall offer an offering made by fire unto the Lord. So on that day, they would have several trumpet blasts. And also, it was treated just as a Sabbath, even if it didn't fall on a Sabbath. They had to do the same uh, things as on a Sabbath. They were not allowed to do work. And of course, the trumpet that was blown on that day was the shofar, or the ram's horn. Blow ye the trumpet in Zion, and alarm in my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the Lord land tremble, for the day of the Lord cometh, for it is nigh unto at hand. That's in Joel 2.1. And then ten days later was the Feast of Atonement. And of course, this trumpet feast was, is going to be fulfilled. We've had the first four literally fulfilled, and now we're waiting for the last three. Of course, 1 Thessalonians 4.16 says, For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. 1 Corinthians 15.52 says, In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. That is our hope. That is our goal. Amen. We don't know when that day is, but we know the season. So ten days after that, of course, was the Feast of Atonement. Leviticus 23, 27. Also on the tenth day of this seventh month, there shall be a day of atonement. It shall be a holy convocation unto you, and ye shall afflict your souls. That means it was a day of fasting. And an offer, an offering made by fire unto the Lord, and he shall do no work in the same day. Again, it was treated as if it was a Sabbath. For it is a day of atonement, to make an atonement for you before the Lord your God. And of course, Jesus is going to fulfill this because the Bible says in Hebrews, but Christ being come an high priest of good things to come by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building. What that symbolism of the Day of Atonement was, was going to symbolize a future fulfillment when Christ, as our high priest, entered into the heavenly tabernacle on our behalf to provide a covering. And of course, we see that happen at his resurrection when Mary was going to touch him. He said, don't touch me yet because I have not yet ascended. He was fulfilling the role of our great high priest. The Bible says we have an advocate with the Father, which is Christ. Amen. Neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. See, we're going through this feast to lay a foundation for what we're going to discuss in some later upcoming Bible studies. So we truly understand that each and every one of these feasts have to do with Jesus and a fulfillment. 
we have had literally the first four of these seven fulfilled. Jesus became our Passover when he was crucified. He became that bread from heaven. He was the first fruits of those that died. He has become our comforter through Pentecost. And now we await the fulfillment of the last three feasts. Ten days, five, sorry, five days after atonement becomes the last feast of the year or tabernacles. Leviticus 23, 34, Speak unto the children of Israel, saying, The fifteenth day of this seventh month shall be a feast of tabernacles for seven days unto the Lord. Deuteronomy 16, 13 repeats it. Thou shalt observe the feast of tabernacles for seven days after thou hast gathered in thy corn and thine wine. It was also, as I've taught before, a harvest festival, the last harvest festival of the year. And Jesus celebrated this in the New Testament. In fact, in the fall year before he was crucified. Jesus was crucified in the spring on Passover, but we see him going to this feast in the New Testament. And of course, it represents God dwelling with us, tabernacling with men permanently. John 7, 2. Now the Jews' feast of tabernacles was at hand. When the Jews sought him at the feast and said, where is he? Now about the midst of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and taught. In the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come and drink. He that believeth on me, as the scripture hath said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. Amen. So we've gone through the list of the seven feasts as a, as a, a, a foundation of where we're going to go in some future lessons. And the takeaway from this lesson tonight is that we're waiting now for the last three to be fulfilled. Of course, the last three are fulfilled with us as witnesses. We weren't around in the flesh for Passover or unleavened bread or for first fruits or for the first Pentecost. But if you have been filled with the Spirit and baptized in His name, you certainly are going to witness the Feast of Trumpets. Amen. The final atonement. And the Bible says in Revelation, and God shall make his dwelling place with man. All right, let's get back to some of the prophecies concerning where we are right now. And one of the most interesting, if not astonishing prophecies about end times and Israel's situation, and as I spoke last week, I see it, almost literally being fulfilled, is found in Psalms 83. Let's read it. Keep, thou, keep not thou silence, O God. Hold not thy peace, and be not still, O God. For lo, thine enemies make a tumult, and they that hate thee have lifted up the head. They have taken crafty counsel against thy people and consulted against thy hidden ones. They have said, come and let us cut them off from being a nation. Now, if you have been listening to the news, you know that that is in the charter of Hamas, that Israel should not be a nation. Look at this, Psalms 83, verse 4. They have said, come and let us cut them off from being a nation, 
that the name of Israel may be no more in remembrance. For they have consulted together with one consent, and they are confederate against thee. The tabernacles of Edom and the Ishmaelites of Moab and the Hagarines, Gebel and Ammon and Amalek, the Philistines with the inhabitants of Tyre, Asher also is joined with them, and they have helped the children of Lot. See, this is an interesting prophetic psalm because it says what the goal was, and it names some tribes by their ancient names. What we're going to look at now is looking at those things that we have already studied. Let's try and put it together. Because God revealed to Daniel the plan for Israel, and I call it also the plan for church. In Daniel chapter 9, starting at verse 24, and we've gone over this before, but I said last week that there were six, actually seven things, we're going to look at the six things right now, that God told were going to have to happen. The first one, to finish the transgression, to make an end of sins, to atone for sin, that means the atonement ceremony, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy place. Amen. Now, we're looking for the start, who knows when, of the tribulation. Now, this period of time is found in many scriptures, also in the Old Testament, and Jesus makes reference of it in the New Testament. But I want to draw your attention to how it's going to begin and what is going to happen to Israel. Daniel chapter 12, verse 1. At that time shall Michael, and in the King James it says stand up, but really what it is saying in the Hebrew is stand aside. Why? Because he has been protecting Israel from the time that they left Egypt. In Exodus 23, 20, God tells him tells tells them that he's going to send his angel to guide them and take them through the way. Let's read it. And at the time shall Michael stand aside the great prince which standeth for the children of thy people. And there shall be a time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation even to that same time. And at that time thy people shall be delivered every one that it shall be found written in the book. So the triggering of the great tribulation or the, is going to be when God allows certain things to happen. The protector of Israel will be standing aside. Now that may not make sense to us, but we will see that God has a plan. Second Thessalonians 2 Thessalonians 2.7 says, For this lawlessness is already at work secretly, and it will remain secret until the one who is holding it back steps out of the way. Again, that's a reference to the restrainer. Now, some interpret that to be the Holy Spirit, and some interpret that to be the protector of Israel. Let's look at this now in terms of the feasts, those six things that I said. The first thing to make an end of sin was the Passover. When Jesus died and the temple tore in two, he said, It is finished. It is finished. Because of the fact that God modeled everything he was going to do in the Old Testament, when Abraham, the father, took his son 
and was going to crucify or going to um, give him as a sacrifice. And Isaac asked him, I see the wood. I see the fire, but where is the sacrifice? Here's what Abraham declared by faith. My son, God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. And of course, we read it before. John said in uh, 129, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. So when Jesus became the Passover, he begun the first step on those six things. The first one is to make an end of sins. The Bible says when he comes back, he's not coming back to deal with sin. He's already paid the penalty for sin. It's already finished. It's just for us to accept the sacrifice. Ezekiel 9.4 And the Lord said unto him, Go through the midst of the city. Ezekiel had a vision of, of the rebellious Jerusalem and all of the idolatry. And judgment was about to fall, but before judgment fell, God provided a means for deliverance. And the means was that everyone who was repenting, everyone who wanted to be saved could receive a mark, a seal. Go through the midst of the city, through the midst of Jerusalem, and set a mark, a seal, upon the foreheads of the men that sigh and cry for all the abominations that be done in the midst thereof. See, there is God's seal, and then there is Satan's mark. The second uh, item that God told Daniel in his vision that was going to be was to make an end of sin. And I quoted this before in John 19, uh, 30. When Jesus therefore had received the vinegar, he said, it is finished, and bowed his head and gave up the ghost. First John 2, 2 says, and he is the propitiation. In other words, the sin offering for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Whosoever will, whosoever will accept him. And in Matthew 27, 51, and behold, the veil of the temple was rent in twain from top to the bottom. And the earth did quake and the rocks rent. Hebrews 10.4 tells us that it is not possible, it was not possible that the blood of bulls and goats should take away sin. But 2 Corinthians, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Paul wrote, for he hath made him to be sin for us. So he's already fulfilled number one and number two in that list to make an end of sins. That means he has made an end for there to be no forgiveness for sin. And we, we see that it, it says in the Hebrew, kala, which means to finish or to restrain. And pesha means the transgression or the rebellion. That's what is happening. That's what the Holy Spirit is doing. The Bible says the mystery of iniquity doth already work, but he that letteth or he that is holding back will hold until he be taken out away. Now the full rebellion you might be surprised to know has not happened yet. You may say, well, what? Hasn't Satan totally rebelled? Yes, but he still has access to make accusations. We see that in the book of Job. Now, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came also among them. And the Lord said unto Satan, Whence comest thou? Then Satan answered the Lord, he's boasting here, from going to and fro in the earth. See, I have full reign. So we see that he still up to the point of revelation had access. He was making accusation. He still had access. He still had some dominion. 
In Luke 4, 5, the devil taking him up into a high mountain showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said unto him, All this power will I give thee and the glory of them, for that is delivered unto me, and to whomsoever I will, I give it. Now that was true until Jesus died. Until he resurrected and he said, All power in heaven and earth is given unto me. Satan now has no power legitimately over a child of the king, over a son of God. Amen. Up until that time, because of Adam's disobedience, dominion had passed to Satan. And all of this lasts, this rebellion lasts, until there is war in heaven. Revelation 12:3, And there appeared another wonder in heaven, and behold, a great red dragon, having seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns upon his head. And his tail drew the third part of the stars of heaven and did cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman which was ready to be delivered for to devour her child as soon as it was born. And she brought forth a man-child who was to rule the nations with a rod of iron. And her child was caught up unto God and to his throne. And there was war, verse 7, in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon fought and his angels. And he prevailed not, neither was their place found any more in heaven. So we see now when he comes down is when he reveals himself in the fullness of who he really is. Paul in Thessalonians was saying, don't be fooled by what they say, for the day will not come until there is a great in the King James, it says falling away, but in the, he, in the Greek, it's really rebellion. And the man of lawlessness is revealed, the one who brings destruction. He will oppose and will exalt himself over everything that is called God or is worshipped, that he sets himself up in God's temple. And in the Greek, this word is neos, proclaiming himself to be God. Because of that and because of some other scriptures speaking about a future temple, many people think that the literal temple has to be built before these things can be fulfilled. But what they are doing is missing the fact that now our bodies are a temple. And this word naos was used of our bodies. 1 Corinthians 6.19 Knowing not that your body is the temple, and in the Greek it's naos of the Holy Ghost. What is this speaking about? It means that Satan is going to personally possess someone that someone is going to be the Antichrist. He's going to put himself in a body where he doesn't belong. That is the abomination that is being speak, spoken of. We're coming up to the time of the covenant and also of the first war. Ezekiel 38.1 And the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, set thy face against Gog, the land of Magog and the chief prince of Meshech and Tubal, and prophesy against him, and say, Thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I am against thee, O Gog, chief prince of Meshech and Tubal. It's amazing that every detail has been foretold exactly who the nations are and what they're going to do. This will be the beginning war of the seven-year period. And I will turn thee back and put hooks in thy jaws, and I will bring thee forth and all thine army Horses and horsemen, all of them clothed with all sorts of armor, even a great company. 
with bucklers and shields, all of them handling swords. Persia, modern-day Iran, Ethiopia, and Libya with them, all with shield and helmet. It's amazing. He goes on to name some others. Gomer and all his bands, the house of Togarma of the North Quarters. These are all Muslim, predominantly Muslim countries. And all his bands and many people with thee, be thou prepared and prepare for thyself, thou and all thy company that are assembled with thee, and be thou a guard unto them. And we can tell that it is speaking of our time. And it says, after many days thou shalt be visited in the latter years. Thou shalt come into the land that is brought back from the sword and is gathered out of many people. Speaking about the rebuilding of the nation Israel and how the return, the aliyah as they call it, the return to the land. Against the mountains of Israel which have been always a waste. For almost 2,000 years Palestine, Judea was, was a waste. But now you can go to the desert and the prophecy that says the desert shall bloom as a rose is happening. But it is brought forth out of all the nations and they shall dwell safely, all of them. It goes on to say that you shall come against a land of unwalled villages, unwalled cities. Now in the day then that was written, they never built a city without a wall. But of course now because of air power, nobody builds cities with walls. We're going to close this part of the session. We have built a foundation of where we're going, but we are coming up to the beginning of some of these things. The confirmation of the covenant and the war. And you may say, well, why did God make those nations come to Israel? Well, actually to destroy them. To destroy them. We'll get into that next week when we do part three. But we are so close to the start and fulfillment of many of these prophecies. So it's time, the Bible says, to look up for your redemption draweth nigh. If you could, wherever you are, bow your heads tonight and let us pray and ask God to guide us, to let us be ready. Father, we just thank you for your word tonight. Lord God, we ask you to give us, Lord God, edification. Help us, Lord, to be ready, to look up to understand what is going on around us, Lord, that we will be ready and able, hallelujah, that when you call, we will hear. We thank you tonight for your manifold blessings. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to worship you. We thank you for your Holy Spirit and for understanding and for your love. We give you all the praise of the, and glory, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.